2: Hey everybody, welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan, we've got three segments for you. So first of all, we're going to continue our position reviews. Mary Kay, Ellis, and I will talk about the offensive line. We'll go through how our texters voted, uh, order of importance on the offensive line, and talk about that group. Then, uh, a special guest, Matt Perino from Syracuse.com, is going to come on to tell you about the Buffalo Bills, because I think Browns fans should be adopting the Buffalo Bills as their team the rest of the playoffs. So however long, however much longer they are in it so matt perino is going to come on and tell you all about the buffalo bills and speaking of however long the bills are going to be in it uh douglay maurice joined ellis mary Kay, and i for the last segment to make our championship game picks so check all of that out check out football insider as well go to cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page get all your info get signed up okay here's our friday podcast And away we go on our Friday edition of the orange Brown talk podcast. We're going to start it off with, uh, it's me, Mary Kay and Ellis, and we're going to talk a little offensive line. And for the first time in a while, there's no real surprises to get into on this. Uh, the Browns offensive line was certainly the strength of their team. Uh, Andrew Barry said on Wednesday, he loves his big guys. And with good reason, they were absolutely fantastic this year. So here's how we're going to start this, this segment. Um, I asked our texters to rank uh, Brown's offensive lineman by order of importance for 2021. And even though the guy they picked, I'm not opposed to, I was a little surprised that they went the direction that they did. So Joel Batonio was actually number one, Jedrick Wills, number two, Wyatt Teller three, J.C. Tredder four, and Jack Conklin five. I'm curious. What, what do you guys think of those rankings? Well, Joel Batonio coming in at number one. I like I said, I would argue that he might be the best offensive lineman on this on this team, just all around offensive lineman. I am a little surprised that he, he's the guy our texters picked as number one, though.
3: Well, who just out of curiosity, who do you think they would have picked number one?
2: I would have thought that maybe they would either go with uh, Jedrick Wills because of the position, right, the left tackle, mm-hmm. or because we've been pumping up Wyatt Teller so much all season, Wyatt Teller. So that, that's kind of my surprise. But I thought maybe maybe Wills would be number one just because he's the left tackle. And, you know, he did get hurt in that last game. And, you know, it's going to be important moving forward that he continues to improve and, and solidify there.
3: Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me too much that, that Joel is, uh, is, is right up there. I mean, he is obviously one of the best guards in the NFL, uh, he's a fixture here. He's he's somebody that's you know more recognizable, I would think, to to fans than Wyatt Teller. I mean, he Wyatt obviously is a little bit newer here, so it, it doesn't surprise me. Joel's been just so solid, so available, uh, so reliable. hasn't missed a, a, a snap since twenty sixteen until he got COVID and had to miss a game. But that uh, one
2: doesn't count.
3: Oh, that doesn't count. His
2: snap streak is still alive, technically.
3: Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, but he, uh, you know, he he's just been, you know, Mister Mister Solid, Mister Warrior, uh, and and so I, it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, he is just such a building block, and anchor on this line, and and just just so good that I actually am not surprised by that.
2: So, so would you have put? Would you have put Joel number one?
3: I might have. Okay. I actually
2: might have. Ellis, what, what did you think?
0: Yeah, I'm a little surprised Jack Conklin didn't get a little more love here. You know, being an all-pro, considering the, the massive contract they gave him this offseason, coming in with that type of buzz, and then just having a, a great season. His, his PFF grade checks out. His win rate, according to ESPN, checks out. He's just as reliable as they come in this league and is an anchor of what the foundation of this running game was until before they became extremely diverse um, run team it started with the wide zone which is why he was brought in in the first place and he, I mean he just ma- didn't make a mistake there's not a play that comes to mind where I'm like oh yeah Conklin could have could have done better there and sure there's not a you know a bruising pancake here or there like you have Wyatt Teller as a, as a pulling guard on some of those power runs but one of the, the best traits about an offensive lineman kind of like a, a, an official or a referee is when you don't hear from them that usually means they're doing a, a pretty good job. They're they're being consistent, and that was Conklin's season. So I'm a little surprised. He's is he he's not in the top three of the field? He was Bowl.
2: fifth. He was fifth.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's a little inaccurate, but
2: that,
0: <laughs> that, that's just <laughs> who,
2: who is that? Who you would have put number one, Alice? I
0: I think so. Okay. I get the I get the Joel Batonio thing, um, and you can make a case for Jedrick being the rookie and hand. Left- even though I think both tackle positions are just as important in today's football, these edge rushers come from both sides nowadays. Um, yeah. I, I think I put a Conklin one and we can, we can work from there. I think, I mean, you could honestly make
2: an argument for any of these guys and I think that right. speaks to how good this line is. I mean, you could say if you wanted to plant your flag on, you know, with JC tredder or Wyatt Teller or any of these five guys. And the other thing too is, I think with every single one of these five guys, you can find at least one play where they're just mauling somebody might be a little tougher to find with JC. I'm not sure if there's one that stands out of that, but I, you know, Joel Batonio had that screen in Jacksonville at the end of the game Conklin. I I think on the one Kareem hunt run in Pittsburgh, he was just shoving him. He just mauled somebody and was shoving him in blocked like two guys. Teller's got a whole highlight reel of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Wills in in the run game was so important, especially in the cutback game. It was just really, this was just a really good unit, one through five. Uh, It's it's boring, but I don't know what what more you say about these five guys together. This is exactly what the Browns envisioned.
3: Well, you know, um, Ryan Grigson, when he was brought in here, he came from, he, you know, was the former general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. And he learned a big, huge lesson when he was in Indianapolis, and that is they did not protect Andrew Luck the way that they needed to, okay? So here you have another number one overall pick who just got drilled and wasn't supported in the way that he needed to be. And that was one of the number one things that he pounded the table for when he came in this year as a basically a senior advisor to Andrew Berry, and that was the offensive line we must, we must really take care of the offensive line. And they did. They put their money there. They put their resources there. They made Jack Conklin a priority. He's been amazing. And uh, Jed Wills, you can't say enough about how Bill Callahan was able to help him transition from right tackle to left tackle as a rookie. That's been tremendous. Uh, and, and they did it. They went out and did it. And I can not I can remember all of these years of covering the Browns and the offensive line was always a problem. It was always, always an issue. And they addressed it. And it just seems to me like they have so many really good pieces on it right now that they understand the importance. It's going to stay this way. I mean, when it comes time to replace J.C. Treader, they'll find that guy. I mean, they know uh, what they had to do. And there, I think that's a major reason why Baker Mayfield, the last mm-hmm. – time we saw him throw a a really bad interception obviously was the first one in that cincinnati game after that he threw 20 touchdowns and only two interceptions the whole rest of the way and a lot of that was because he had plenty of time to throw i mean it was unbelievable to watch the amount of time that he had in some of those games it was incredible and i think that offensive line is is just such a major reason why everything just came together in the second half of the season. I mean, when you have that, you have everything. And and you just cannot say enough about how they performed and about how Bill Callahan coached them to perform and how it just all worked together with the play-action game and Baker on the keepers and all that stuff.
0: I completely agree, Mary Kay. The Browns this offseason laid the – number one blueprint on how to completely renovate your offensive line. I mean, think of where they were just a year ago today, and now PFF rated them the number one run and pass offensive line in football. I like to think that in Berea this spring and, you know, before the draft as their, or this past, I guess it past winter or spring, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski were kind of like that scene in uh, Wolf of Wall Street when uh, Jordan Belfort or Leonardo DiCaprio was like, does your wife think you're a loser? Good. Pick up the phone. Start dialing. Do you hate your job? Good. Pick up the phone. Start dialing. It's like, are you sick of your quarterback getting hit from the blind side? Good. Pick up the phone. Start dialing. Are you sick of your running backs not being able to get more than three yards test line scrimmage? Good. Pick up the phone. Start dialing. Like, they clearly did their research this offseason and made the right calls, watched the right tape, and pulled the right levers in not only bringing in Jack Conklin, the drafting of Dedrick Wills, but then – the signing of Bill Callahan as the offensive line coach. I mean, they just hit every spot they needed to, and went from a bottom tier to average, if we're being nice, offensive line to the best in football. And it has the pieces to have longevity. This this unit should stay together, you know, for at least the next two or three years. And that's a luxury that I mean, ask any quarterback in this league, any quarterback that's played football in general. If you have the advantage of having the best offensive line in football in front of you, you just sleep better at night.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you know and I should have put Bill Callahan on this this rankings list because he's the clear number right. one guy.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's
2: he's the guy that really and, – and, again, that speaks to how this organization approached everything this offseason is they knew the offensive line was a priority, so they went out and they got one of, if not the best offensive line coach in football, and they put him in charge of everything um, and, and, and let him kind of run the show. Uh, The big question here on the O-line is Wyatt Teller, not that he's headed for free agency or anything, but it is extension talks time with Wyatt. Uh, This is going to be an expensive unit. Now you have Jedrick Wills at left tackle who's going to be on his rookie deal. Uh, So he's going to be cheap for a little while. But Joel Batonio was extended a few years ago. J.C. Treader was extended last year. Uh, Of course, you paid Jack, Jack Conklin a bunch of money. Uh, Wyatt Teller, if you do get into extension talks with him, and I'm I'm sure his agent will bring it up. I'm sure that the Browns will at least engage a little bit. It's going to cost some money, uh, but is I mean, is it a no-brainer? This seems like a guy you have just got to extend.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just a matter. It's a matter of when because this offseason is going to be, uh, and we've talked about this many many times. There, there are a lot of economics to deal with, and the salary cap could hit the floor of 175. Million, which is the uh, agreed upon, collectively bargained floor uh, that's coming because of the uh, of the pandemic. So it, it is a it's an off season in which you really want to pay a bunch of people, right? I mean, you want to be able to pay Baker and you want to pay Denzel and you want to pay Nick and you want to pay Wyatt, and you're not going to be able to pay everybody. You're just not going to be able to pay everybody in the same off season. So it'll be very very interesting to see how they figure all this out, but Wyatt Teller is definitely a building block and a solid core piece on this offensive line. They will extend him, and he, he will be here for, for years to come, so I think you can kind of take that to the bank. I'm just not exactly sure when and how it's all going to work out, but he will be here.
0: Yeah, he's the best run blocking guard in football, maybe number two. You know, I I haven't watched enough Colts tape this year to say he passed Quentin Nelson. So, you know, he stays there for reputation alone, in my mind, at least. Um, But his pass blocking does need some work. Uh, PFF agrees it's only like a 64, 65 overall. And towards the back end of the season, we all can remember just a couple times Wyatt Teller getting beat inside by a defensive tackle. It's, and there's a guy in Baker's face and it either forces a sack or a, a, an incompletion or a quick, the Chief, it ended the chief's game essentially. Well, until the Chiefs got the ball back, but I'm saying the Browns last offensive drive, uh, Wyatt Teller just got beat by Chris Jones, who's an all pro, but that's how we talk about Wyatt Teller now is an all pro. And that needs to be strength on strength. And just because of where Wyatt's at in his past sets, it's, it wasn't and he got beat and it resulted in a check down and the Browns didn't get the football back. So That's not going to matter when it comes to negotiating because these numbers are already set and it's going to be a, you know, 13, 14, 15 annual type of salary that Wyatt Teller is entering. I'm confident he'll improve as a a pass blocker considering what we saw this year. He clearly works his tail off and takes this with the utmost seriousness. Um, But this kind of ties into our conversation yesterday about uh, Sheldon Richardson you know, eventually guys like Sheldon are going to be cap casualties because of what, where you're going to have to allocate your money. And a lot of that goes towards this offensive line. And then young guys that you've just named Mary Kay, like Denzel and Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm.
2: So when we also look at, at some of the backups this year, they were important stories. Um, all of them kind of had their moments. The big three were of course, uh, Chris Hubbard, uh then of course Kendall Lamb got some opportunity and Nick Harris got some opportunity as well at, at uh, some work at guard so those three backups we don't know what Chris Hubbard's situation is pretty serious knee injury uh it, it seems like uh Kendall Lamb obviously a veteran guy was part of a lot of the social justice stuff the Browns were doing so a guy in the locker room who was, was very important for a backup alignment uh Nick Harris a fifth round draft pick so when, when you kind of look at those three guys I mean, there's not really opportunity there for them, but um, I, I guess, you know, how important is it, I guess, to keep those guys around, you know, assuming Hubbard is healthy and able to go.
3: You know what? I, I think this this team does a nice job of identifying uh, depth. They do a really good job of, of bringing in the, you know, the Michael Duns and, and the players like that, that, that are that can come in and fill in for you if you need them to. As you mentioned, Nick Harris is somebody to, to look at and and try to figure out when it will be time for him to replace JC Treader. I don't see it happening right away. Uh, but he is there. Uh, I mean, and you need one. I mean, that, that is something that teams sometimes forget about. You need a, you need a good center and you need somebody, uh, you know, kind of in, in the wings waiting to step in there. So, uh, I think they're, they're well positioned for, you know, for down the road with these guys, but I just also wanted to bring up real quick, um, just, I don't think we can overstate how well Jed Wills played at left tackle as a rookie. He ended up as the 23rd best tackle in the NFL, and, and that, that puts him uh, in some really good company. That puts him ahead of guys like Alejandro Villanueva from the Steelers. Uh, it, it puts him ahead of Orlando Brown of Baltimore. It puts him ahead of Eric Fisher of Kansas City. It puts him ahead of fellow rookie Mackay Becton of the New York Jets. That's a, that's a pretty good ranking for a guy who had to move from right tackle to left tackle with no offseason to do it. I think it speaks to Bill Callahan's coaching. I think it speaks a little bit to Joe Thomas's mentorship of him and other guys helping him out. But for him to end up there, uh, I think that's I think that's
2: remarkable. yeah, I'm looking at tredder just just so we have it for reference his contract expires after 2022 he'll be 31 years old. Uh, there are cap savings in this contract if the Browns wanted to move on in the next couple of years but I wouldn't advise it Treder's everything you want in, in a center in an offensive lineman and I do think that that connection. With, with center and quarterback can be kind of important. This is a guy that plays through literally everything, but, you know, at some point Nick Harris might push a little bit. Um, although I, th- I think we've got to see more from Harris. He obviously played well when he came in, um, in a pinch against the giants, but did not play as well the following week against the jets. So, um, you know, we, we've got to see a little more from Harris before we can really start talking about his future. So yeah, look, credit to this football team for building this line and, and building that depth behind it. Um, that, that was what they needed to do. It was priority and they did it.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad Mary Kay mentioned Jedrick there because I think it's important to point out to fans, like that's Nick Harris and Jedrick Wills, that's the difference in a first-round pick and a later-round offensive lineman. You just don't get the physical traits. Like Nick Harris spelled well that first New York game, but then once you got some tape on him, they, you know you realize he's a small, an undersized guard. You can get into him early and win the rep that way where – it really doesn't matter how much tape you have on Jedrick. The only thing that slows his him down is his own inexperience. And as he keeps building in this league, he's going to become one of the best left tackles in football. And there, go
3: ahead. I was going to say for comparison's sake, uh, Jack Conklin was was ranked the 13th best tackle. We're talking about tackles that have had uh, a minimum of, of 20% of the snaps in the NFL. Um, and, and when we talk about this being one of the best, or the best offensive line in the NFL, uh, you know, you can see it in some of these rankings again, Jack Conklin, 13th, overall, Jed 23rd. When you look at the guards, uh, just in terms of just sheer offense not you know, not run blocking or pass blocking, but offensive overall, Wyatt Teller, number one, Joe Batonio, number six. So you're talking about these guys all in the top 25 and, um, Of rankings and and that's that's just remarkable especially the guards i mean like two guards in the top six of the nfl that that just it it explains a lot of this season it really does
0: yeah and mary Kay, same thing for espn's win rate uh both wyatt teller and joel batonio were in the top three last time i checked uh for both pass and one run win rates the browns had all five linemen in the top 10 in Either pass or run win rates. And the only one they, uh, Brown's offensive lineman wasn't in was Jedrick Wills. He was not a top 10 win rate in pass blocking, but wasn't the top 10 in run blocking. So they just, regardless of metric, they check out across the board.
3: Yeah. And then, and then again, JC Treader, you move over to, um, to centers and you look at the, you know, the overall grades for centers. Do you guys know where JC ended up?
0: Three or four, about.
3: Um, it, it was number five. So yeah. they've got the number five center. They've got the number one guard. They've got the number six guard. They've got the number 13 tackle and the number 23 tackle. I mean, it, it, and again, like it, you mentioned, Ellis, all the, the ESPN win rates and grades. I mean, it, it bears out in, in these numbers. And, and it's a major reason why Baker Mayfield was able to do what he did in the last nine games of the season.
2: Okay, there you have it. And by the way, J.C. Treder earned that ranking while he was trying to figure out how to play football during a pandemic. <laughs> so all of that, too, on top of everything else. So, so there we go. I don't know how that factors into PFF's grading system, but it should. It should be in there somewhere. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break when you when we come back. I talked to our Buffalo Bills uh, reporter from Syracuse.com. His name is Matt Perino. I'm telling you, you guys got to root for the Bills. I know, Ellis, you're not on board with this, but I'm telling you, Browns fans, just adopt Josh Allen and the bills. I know Mary Kay doesn't need any convincing uh, coming up this Sunday. So I talked to Matt Perino about the bills, Josh Allen and kind of their matchup with the chiefs that's coming up after the break. And then after that, we will pick uh, championship weekend. All right. Now we welcome on from our sister site, Syracuse.com. Matt Perino covers the Buffalo bills. Matt, how are you?
1: I'm good, Dan. How are you? Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, I, I'd love to return the favor. You came on uh, our show a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago now, and it seems like the season's going so fast, but appreciate you having me on.
2: Yeah, for sure. We were anticipating a Browns-Bills playoff matchup.
1: I know. It never
2: happened. We got real close here in the AFC Championship game, but but it obviously didn't happen uh, for, for the Browns. So, I am convinced that Browns fans should adopt the Buffalo bills here for the next, you know, I'm sure what bills fans are hoping is the next three weeks, but I'm convinced Browns fans need to adopt this team as their own root for them on Sunday in the AFC championship game. And then if they go on to the super bowl, so that's why I have you on here to, to tell okay. Browns fans about this bills team. So I guess let's just start there. I mean, do you think this is a match Browns fans and bills fans?
1: Yes, um, I think that if they were to play each other it would be like a very contentious um, Lake Erie um, Battle of the lake uh, situation but in this circumstance I, I kind of try to put my shoe or my you know the shoe on the other foot and see if the Browns were in this game and the bills had lost what Bills fans are doing I do think the bills would be rooting for the browns because they've they've I think both franchises have, have experienced this, angst for you know decades and just losing and any time to break free of it although it would leave the Browns at kind of like a weird table if the Bills end (laughs) up do going on and winning and they're like oh well wait I kind of like that we had this kind of thing going on where we we could both be miserable together but no I think the future is bright for both teams I think that the goal right is to see these quarterback battles now over the next few seasons, we're going to see one on Sunday with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I think the Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen um, uh, rematch will be very fun to watch. They played uh last year, was it? And yeah, it was two years ago, last year. And uh, obviously the bills didn't play well in that game. And they're both different teams, different, different organizations at this point, much more confident in their skin, which is a cool thing too. Like you're talking about two franchises that have had so much Wow. Unbelievably bad luck with quarterbacks and now have at the very least, you know, I think Baker has has shown that you know you have somebody that you can put your faith in over the next couple of years. And and obviously Josh Allen has done that as well. So I, I like it. I like I like the comparison. Yeah, and you know, a part of me
2: too thinks that it, look eventually in a perfect world, this would be like a real rivalry, you know, where these teams meet in playoff games, you know, in January over and over again for the next however many years. So, you know, at some point, Browns fans are going to have to learn to hate this team, but I don't know. I'd, I'd say embrace it now. So tell me where Josh Allen is right now. Obviously, his turnaround this season and, and his growth from when he came into the league is one of the big stories in the NFL. Um, you know, th- this playoffs uh, have been a little, a little up and down for him, but we've still seen him make those types of plays. I know wind was a big factor last week against Baltimore, but uh, how has Josh Allen looked in these playoffs compared to what we've seen from him in the past.
1: So I think like you mentioned the point about the numbers, maybe not being where they were in the regular season. And he, I mean, it's hard to replicate that 400 yard passing games. He's played really two really good defenses, but what I think we've seen over these two games is another step in the development of, of Josh, because you just go back, you know, a year ago in January of 2019 or 2020 when they played the Houston Texans and the game got really big and it got really stressful really quick after a 16 0 start. And we all saw what happened as Deshaun Watson led the Texans back. And he kind of felt like he had to do everything and, and put the team on his back. And I feel like now there's so much confidence in the experience and the playmaking ability around him. And, and just also like just the comfort in knowing who you are and having an identity. I think, even earlier this season the bills still didn't really have an identity they were figuring it out there were some some highs and there were some lows like they they came out of the gates the first four games josh allen like threw for 300 then he threw for 400 and you know four touchdown games putting himself in the middle of the mvp conversation and everybody's like whoa okay this is a whole nother level that I don't think a lot of people thought he could reach and then there was the Tennessee game and the Kansas City game and of course there's excuses he heard his shoulder in the Raiders game I think that there was uh, an, a real issue there they, they had John Brown in and out of the lineup uh, they were they were pissed about the whole thing that happened with the Tennessee Titans they didn't want to I think they did, at that point didn't want to play the game and it kept getting pushed back and pushed back and you know there was a lot of drama around that but I think in the end what he's shown an ability to do is throughout the process regroup and then find that that bar and ascend once again and he's had some of his best performances this season on the biggest stages and that's to me where i think you're you're really confident and he also has a really good understanding of the game and like what's what's happening on both sides of the ball he can kind of manage that whole thing more he knew that the way that that game was going, it was blow for blow. Both defenses showed up and were playing well in that game. He didn't need to go out there and make some terrible play that was going to lead to an interception because he was trying to do too much. He can kind of sit back and and you can only do that if your defense kind of caught up to where I think expectations were for this defense going into the season. They've been playing really well. I just think he's he's just so comfortable in every situation. Even when it's not going right, he still kind of maintains who he's become, and that's huge.
2: So I saw you wrote about kind of what he had to say after the last Kansas City game. Um, What what did you kind of take away from that and and what happened in that football game that might be different this time around?
1: Well, we were talking to Sean McDermott this week um, about this matchup and obviously the Andy Reid McDermott um, storyline is always in play, but he also mentioned something that people don't talk a lot about is he's really familiar with Steve Spagnola and they spent time in Philadelphia together too. And he's familiar with how good he is at disguising things and confusing quarterbacks. And Josh said that when they went into that game, basically they did things that they weren't ready for. And I think that the defenses that he's end up playing all season, including that game have forced him to really expand his education as a quarterback. And, and what there's not too much at this point that I think that a team could throw at him that he hasn't seen. Like if you go, man, um, he's really going to find the the dynamic matchup because of how many talented wide receivers he has. If you take away the long stuff, the bills have found a way to get Stefan Diggs involved and engaged in the short and intermediate passing game. And he's destroyed teams there that's one of the things when they acquired digs that I think went under the radar was that he's so good after the catch. He's so willing to force contact and be physical. And you need that out of your number one receiver. And I think that that kind of, you know, bleeds into how the rest of their guys play. And I think Cole Beasley's always been feisty. Gabriel Davis has obviously come on as a real weapon, seven touchdowns this year. He's dinged up. We'll see if he practices today. Um, but I think that what he learned was, you got to make plays in these in these in these games there's no excuses I know they didn't have John Brown uh healthy I know that uh John Feliciano hadn't returned yet and that's also a big storyline this offensive line has been has reached another level since they were had been able to you know build some continuity I think a lot of Bill's fans probably wish that at one of the guard spots they can they can put in uh, Wyatt <laughs> Teller who's now playing in Cleveland and having a, a lot of success and obviously still text Josh Allen he him and Josh were Became really cro- close that rookie season that they both came in. And so I know he probably still uh, has a b- couple buddies on the team, but, you know, that offensive line play has been huge. And it's allowed Josh. Um, I think a lot of that success comes from the fact that teams struggle on the edge, no matter how good you are at generating consistent pressure. I mean, we saw it with T.J. Watt, Daryl, Daryl Williams dominated T.J. Watt that's unbelievable. I and mean, this is a guy that, you know, that the league was ready to throw away in, in a lot of ways and he came back from the injury. He found his all pro form from 2017 after, you know, sometimes you just need some time off of these knee and leg injuries and he's played really well. And obviously Deion Dawkins earned himself a, a quite a payday. Um, but yeah, he's, he's confident. Uh, you still got to do it. And you still got to do it when Patrick Mahomes is on the other side making plays. And we anticipate that he will be. It looks like he's progressing pretty nicely through everything. I'm still I'll still be interested to see what what things are like on that ankle, on that foot where he was kind of hobbling around. That looked uh, something that should be monitored. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, that there's a good chance the other side side could score 40. So you better be you know, able to do the same.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know for Browns fans, that's kind of what they were thinking going into <clears throat> going into Sunday's game was that, you know, it could be a shootout and you might have to put up 40, 45 points to win that game. And the, the thing that surprised me about the Chiefs, even though their defensive numbers aren't great, is seeing that defense in person, they fly around. You know, it starts with, with Teron Matthew, but that defense is fast. And, and I think it surprised the Browns a little bit uh, how fast they were. So maybe for, for Josh Allen, having seen it and experienced mm-hmm. it now, maybe that'll help him. So we all know about Stefan Diggs. I'm sure you get asked about him a ton. So I'm going to ask you this. Who else on that offense? Who's the other guy on that offense? Not named Stefan Diggs, not named Josh Allen, really makes things go. You, you mentioned a few names in your last answer, but who's like the guy that makes that thing go?
1: You know, I'd say Cole Beasley. And obviously he's getting some um, uh, acclaim this year. I mean, he's voted in second team all pro. I know that was very um, – uh talked about on social media I don't know if everybody uh, bought into that selection but what he does is so important because he's always open like I know that like a lot of players say that but Stefan Diggs like reiterates this like week in and week out and they have like a back and forth like it's reached the point in their relationship where they'll come back to the huddle and kind of share their thoughts on the route that they just run and Cole Beasley every time says, "Ah, I was way more open than you. We'll check on the tape when we go back and watch tomorrow. And a lot of the times it is, I mean, he gets unbelievable separation. And part of the reason why, you know, maybe his numbers aren't even better is because he does such a good job at taking, bringing focus on him in a lot of ways. He opens things up for digs in some ways and some other players. And so he's so important. Even last week, he didn't have any catches, but his, the threat of him and the attention that Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy Smith and some of the other guys that they, they tried on him had, had to have consistently throughout the game. He's just like, he's a difference maker. The the bills don't run like that. We saw that last (laughs) week. I think they ran it one time with their running backs in the first half. They've basically reached a level of um belief in what they do that we're we know you know that we're going to throw it but we're going to throw it anyway and we're going to throw it a lot and um I think one of the things that I expect to see a ton on Sunday are the four wide receiver sets that I think could if Cole Beasley's healthy he, he wasn't on the injury report yesterday John Brown's now fully healthy had himself a nice little game against the Ravens that's when they become dangerous and here's a kind of a little um little nugget that, you know, people aren't talking a ton about yet, but as we move through the week can get a little bit more uh, steam, Gabriel Davis hurt his ankle in the game last week and didn't practice yesterday. We'll see how he progresses. Kenny stills the bills signed him to their practice squad three or four weeks ago. Now, he had himself a huge game against the chiefs in the playoffs last year. And he he's familiar with their defense, what they do. He's quick. He's got some speed. He should be up to speed now on what the bills are trying to do and what they'd ask him to do in that spot. I'd be very interested to see him involved in some of these four, four, uh, four empty sets, just because Josh Allen's proven an ability to, to hit the open man and guys are making plays for him. That's another thing too. I, have you ever seen an offense with with these receiver, multiple receivers making toe toe drag plays every week? John Brown had two this last week. Gabriel Davis had two critical ones in the Colts game. Um, they're just they're just playmakers. They're timely playmakers and guys that I feel like were disrespected in their former spots, Beasley and Brown specifically. And uh, they're making a lot of people uh, proving a lot of people wrong right now. Now, do
2: Bills fans get, get upset that they don't run the ball that much? Because I will tell you this, Browns fans do get a little testy sometimes. There's a segment of the Browns fan base when the Browns come out throwing the football that say, oh, come on, hand the ball to Nick Chubb more, or give it to Kareem Hunt more. Is, is there a segment of Bills Mafia that that would like to see that that establish the run method?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a segment that definitely would like to see more running plays. But I do go back to last to to almost like uh, Allen's rookie year when they were really treating him with kid gloves, and uh, the the scheme and the game plans were very very vanilla, and they were very run oriented, and I think that the fan base reached a point there where it was just like all right, let's unleash Josh. I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care how many mistakes he makes. Like, I would rather see him throw three interceptions in the game than run Shady McCoy into uh, the back of an offensive line for one yard 10 or 15 times in a game. So I think that if it was having more success, I think there might be some more juice there, but there's just – they're just not running it well, and I think it's also on the, the offensive line. We saw uh, Good Morning Football pointed it out. Like John Feliciano turning to the sidelines after they ran in the second half a couple of times screaming and yelling and, like, getting pumped up, yeah, run the ball. So maybe, like, this offensive line will take it personally and and, and, and they'll they'll run it a little bit more, maybe more successfully. Singletary's good. He, he averaged five and a half yards a carry last year as a rookie. He can do it. Um, I just think that they have to be more effective. I just think it's tough, too, when it's a complete – um, dynamic change. Like they were this kind of team. They still were real careful with how they, um, they game plan last year. They ran it a lot more, even with Frank Gore who had a crazy amount of carries last year, considering his age, um, to now where they're just a predominantly pat. I, I, they just, it's been hard to find like a balance. And, um, and I don't think they want to, because they, they've won eight in a row. And if not for the, the Hal Murray, it'd be 12 in a row right now.
2: Yeah, well, I keep telling Browns fans this. I think maybe not to the extreme the Bills have gone, but I think that's sort of who the Browns want to be too, is that they want to be a passing football team. Um, I'll let you go on this because we haven't talked about the defense at all, but I think one of the reasons the Bills are where they are and the reason they've had that run is because that defense has gotten so much better. And I know they gave up a ton of yards against the Colts, maybe just a bad matchup, I don't know. But t- tell me a little bit about this defense and, and what has been the key to it improving you know, from what we saw, kind of in the first half of the season, to what they were able to do in that second half.
1: COVID, well, I think COVID and the shortened offseason had an impact on defense around the league. I mean, score offensive numbers were up pretty big time in the first half of the season, but for this unit specifically, they they're missing like a kind of a critical part early on like Starla Tule was their one technique he opted out we talked about Vincent Taylor and somebody that they chose to cut who I think could have been somebody that might have been able to play that role they're very undersized otherwise and so they're playing a lot of like there was one game where at Oliver their their young first round draft pick pass rushing three technique they were asking him to play at the nose for like I think 80% of snaps in one game and it's just they, they didn't have, they didn't know who they were just trying. They were kind of fumbling. They were trying to figure it out on the fly. And they, they dealt with injuries at the linebacker position, Tremaine Edmonds for the first half of the season, shoulder injury. He played through it, but he wasn't the same. Matt Milano missed most of the season when he's been on the field this year, they're 12 and zero uh, Tredavis white had an injury early in the season. He missed the Tennessee game. I don't think he was right against Kansas city either. And so now they're healthy. They got all their guys back. They have, they found like a, an interesting rotation at cornerback two with Levi Wallace And the veteran Josh Norman, who, um, you know, he probably is not even close to the level that he was when he was all pro with Carolina, but he is a playmaker still. I mean, he has two turnovers this year, two big ones, an interception. uh, I think it was for a touchdown. I can't remember. Yeah, pick six. And he had a, a fumble recovery in that Raiders game that was massive. His big first play for the Bills. And they're getting pass rush now. That's, that's been the key. Harrison Phillips in the middle is he's playing better. He had an ACL last year. He's playing better. Jerry Hughes was just, that was his ultimate game. That was his like signature game as a bill. And he's been a great bill since 2014, coming over for the Colts. I mean, he, he's put up great now. I think he's over 50 sacks and um, he's been a great player, but on the big stage in that big moment, when they needed it against Lamar Jackson, two sacks, his pressure rate was just insane. I think he had seven pressures in the game. Um, they're going to have to do that against Patrick Mahomes. And you got to, you got to rush you got to rush Patrick Mahomes differently than you rush Lamar Jackson because you've got to be ready when he does evade the pocket. It's not about stopping him as the runner. He can do it, but it's about, you know, covering in the defensive back in the secondary, and then trying to get after him. And the bills have struggled at times defending quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, that can kind of run around a little bit. Russell Wilson, who they did a pretty good job against, but he still, I think went over 350 yards against them. So um this defense is when they're they're at their best. They're taking the ball away, which they've been doing, and they're generating some pass rush, and they're letting their linebackers, who are both athletic freaks, fly around and make plays. And they did that at a high rate last week.
2: Okay, well there you have it, Browns fans. I'm telling you, atop the Buffalo Bills, why not? And <laughs> and Matt Perino here to give you all the information you need to know uh, about them as they head into that AFC Championship game. Matt, tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Yeah, I'm at Matt Perino uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's a great place to find uh, all of our, our stuff. it all funnels through there. But we just launched a new YouTube page for our podcast, the Shout Bills podcast. We'll have full coverage there this week. We had a big show last night with a couple fun guests. Friday, Therese Paller from uh, Yahoo Sports will join us. The pre- he's very familiar with the Chiefs. We'll dive into this game a little bit. That'll be on the channel Uh, And then uh, we'll be live after the game to break it all down. Uh, We're, we're having a lot of fun. This is, as we talked before the show, it's a different (laughs) feeling for, for, for reporters that cover these two teams uh, (laughs) going this deep into it. So it's fun. It's uh, it's fans are so engaged. They're always, they always are in Bill's mafia, but uh, it's been a good time. Thanks for having me on, man.
2: Yeah. Well, I tell people that covering the Browns, I'm used to having a strict end date, right? Like the season's (laughs) going to be over here. And then like this past Monday, it was like, Oh, that's weird. The season's over. It's
1: different. (laughs)
2: all right Matt thanks for the time okay Dan Mary Kay Ellis we are back with you and now we bring on Doug LaMaurice it is getting down to it guys uh we're running out of games to pick but there are two more to pick this week and then of course the Super Bowl in a few weeks we'll do the recap here of last week because everybody did at least okay uh Ellis you went two and two you got the Bucks and the Browns so you know not a bad week in the year of the push
0: Hey, you know, I'm all for it. It was a tough week just because some things like I'm grateful for my two and two because straight up, I picked these games wrong. I know I said on here, I thought the Rams would win straight up, didn't happen. Picked the Ravens to win straight up, didn't happen. Picked the Browns, to win, didn't happen. So I'll take the two and two in the theoretical push here, um, but really impressed by the Packers. And we're going to talk Bill's Ravens, I'm sure. But that one um, didn't go the way I thought it would.
2: Uh, Mary Kay, you also went two and two. You rallied from a, a tough Saturday and picked up a couple of wins on Sunday.
3: Yeah, the, uh, what game was it? The It was the Rams game that at the, at the very end, I mean, it was close yeah. and I was in good shape and then the Packers scored a touchdown at the very end oh and totally messed me up there. So I was looking good there for a while. It was a five point game, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I'll take
2: the two and two. Doug, you and I went three and one, and we actually, we didn't quite quite take the same route. I got the Packers, Bucks, and Browns. You had the Packers, Bills, and Browns. So how about the Bills coming through for you, Doug, getting you to three and one?
4: Yeah, I mean, what, what can I say? I've, I've always believed in Josh Allen. I always will believe in Josh Allen, and and here we are together celebrating our victories. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, so here we go. We're going to pick these games in the order of uh, where how they're going to be played. So the NFC gets to go first this year. Uh, so we've got the Bucks visiting the Packers. The line on both these games is actually the same. The Packers are favored uh, by three points. So, uh, you know, these two teams met during the regular season. The Bucks kind of had their way in that game. Uh, but, you know, you you kind of put in – put whatever weight you want on regular season games, I guess, is, like I said, what you want.
0: But, Ellis, what are you thinking in this one? I mean, who isn't excited for this, first of all? Um... This pins Aaron Rodgers. And with me being from Minnesota and going to college in Wisconsin, I've got a lot of Green Bay Packer <laughs> friends in my life. Against playing Tom Brady, who I've got a pocket of friends who just follow Tom like, like we do LeBron. When when we recognize greatness, we appreciate it and, and watch it in complete awe. This is tough because, like you said, they met early already. The Bucs won 38 10. It was never really that close, even though Green Bay did lead uh, in this game, believe it or not. It just wasn't that close, you know, halfway through the second quarter on um, Aaron Rodgers, probably his worst game of the season, two interceptions, 16 to 35, only 160 yards passing. And the Bucs ran all over them. The, the Packers have had, have just struggled against the run all year and, and dating back to last season. Even, even they did, they're getting better, um, but they were able to put, Um, 23 carries, 113 yards and two scores from Rojo on him in that week. But the reason this is so difficult is because a lot like how the Steelers beat down on the Browns back in week six, that's what this feels like to me because Green Bay's offense, much like the Browns offense, just isn't what it was then compared to what it is now they're firing on all cylinders. They handily beat, what I was considering the best defense in football last week, and and largely because of that defensive coordinator. And now Brandon Staley has a head coaching job with the Chargers. That's he took the league really by storm this year and took that momentum to a, a head spot. So I'm extremely impressed with Aaron Rodgers in that game he played. He made just some incredible throws, incredible plays, both in the system and just doing Aaron Rodgers stuff. This is really what happens when these play action pass run looking like the pass offenses that that tennessee run that the 49ers run that minnesota runs now that cleveland runs that make every quarterback look above average to good this is what happens when you put generational talent in an offense like this You're next level and you might be unstoppable but with all that being said i can't find it in my heart to pick against play tom brady my friends wouldn't let me live it down i would feel i would feel like i would, I, I didn't deserve to enjoy a, the win if the bucks do win so, for some personal reasons and just and and pleasure too, I want to watch this game and, and I want to see Tampa win. And you know what? It's Tom Brady. He wins co- conference championship games. It's what he does. I'm taking Tom Brady. I get plus three, right? It's a, it's a plus three line. Yeah. Yeah. So, give me that. The Bucs find a way to win. It's going to be close, probably two, three point game, but with the points, I'm good either way.
2: Okay. So, uh, after all of that praise for the Green Bay Packers, Ellis uh, takes a hard left. So I the Bucks. Plus,
4: that was like I'm adult Ellis, and my job is analyzing football, and then my pick is teenager Ellis because my friends and I think Tom Brady is cool.
0: <laughs> I, I'm gonna we're gonna cut that, and I'm gonna play that for my friends. I'm gonna throw that in the group chat. That's exactly what just happened. You, you, you already know me too well.
2: All right, who else is on the Bucks in this game? Mary Kay or Doug or either of you on the Bucks? In the Mary Kay? All right, I go am, ahead.
3: I am, I, and I think it's just because I've uh, covered so many Tom Brady. Super Bowls and I just can never get Tom Brady winning Super Bowls and playoff games and all kinds of games out of my head. But these teams are so evenly matched. It is really odd. Uh, When you look at uh, points per game, they're both right around 31 Um, points allowed per game. One, one of them is the green Bay 23 Tampa Bay, 22 takeaway differential plus seven for green Bay plus 8 for Tampa uh passing yards once again you know 257 289 they're they're very very close in in a lot of ways there are a few places where they're uh where they're different and that is um green bay's got a much better running game they're eighth and the bucks are only 28th but they don't probably need it as much um so yeah there's a there it could go either way obviously and it's it's going to be really uh, a great classic quarterback duel looking forward to watching it um but i'm still going to go with tom brady
2: doug are you with uh, i'm assuming you're with me on this because you didn't raise your hand to make a case for the bucks
4: yeah i'm with adult ellis I'm with adult Ellis who broke down every reason the Packers are going to win and then said, I have a poster of Tom on my bedroom wall. <laughs> I deserve all
0: this. I deserve
4: all this. So, so listen, like, I just think the Packers, as you said, Ellis, they are such a different team from when they played the Bucks the first time around, they've just put in putting points up. I think at home in the cold, they're going to put pressure on the Bucks to keep up with them for them, the scoring standpoint, the Bucs had this lull in the middle of the year. They finished strong. Because they beat Minnesota, Atlanta, Detroit, and Atlanta to end the regular season. They put up a bunch of points on those teams. And then in the playoffs, they beat Tyler Heineke and Drew Brees, who can't throw a pass more than eight yards. That's why I guess it was a bad pick by me to pick the Saints last week. They have not played like a quarterback like Aunt Rodgers in a while. I just think it's a tough spot that this is the Packers' year. And Aaron Rodgers I think has, hasn't had a home game in the NFC Championship game like in forever. Is that correct? Doesn't he's lost these NFC Championship games on the road. Like this is what they're waiting for. Tom Brady has brittle bones. The TB12 <laughs> system does not account for it being 18 degrees or whatever. He, I mean Tom Brady he did play in New England for a long time. Yeah, but he didn't play in New England when he was 50. <laughs> I mean, like, and the last time he played in New England in a playoff game, he looked brittle and old. And then he went to Tampa and he got in the sunshine and, you know, he got his serotonin levels up. I just think like, this is all. And, and, and here's the thing. It, the line is so close. Both these games, you just got to pick who you think is going to win. So it's like, you guys can have the three points, but like you, you can't pick. I think green Bay wins 31 29. So I'm taking Tampa with the points. That doesn't make any sense. You just have to think who's going to win. Call me Crazy. I think Aaron Rodgers, the MVP at home is going to win. So I don't have a lot of great analysis. I just think I can see them getting out and putting pressure on some Tampa on Tampa in a way that forces Brady to do some things that he would have done five years ago or 10 years ago. And he's been so good this year. Listen, I was, I was out on Tom Brady early and I was wrong on that too. I just think it's a tough spot. He's going to have to be excellent. And, I just think Aaron Rodgers will be more excellent. And so I like the Packers by seven or 10 points.
2: Yeah, so I'm taking the Packers in this too. I've mentioned this on this pod before. We, we do this sometimes, and it's obviously less in the championship game, but these teams get these buys, right? And we watch a bunch of teams on wildcard weekend that we fall in love with, and we kind of forget, like, oh, man, Green Bay was really good. Man, Kansas City was really good. And then these teams come out, and they kind of show us, why they were really good. And obviously Kansas city lost Patrick. Malk. We'll get to all that, but they show us why they're really good. And I think the Packers did that last week against probably the best defense in football. If that's not the best defense in football, it's one of the best defenses in football. Uh, I also think when I look at Tampa last week, you know, when you look at their touchdown drives, so their first touchdown drive started from the saints three, their next touchdown drive off a of fumble started from the saints 40, and their last touchdown drive off an interception started from the Saints' 20-yard line. So I'm not real sure. Well, I love those Tampa weapons, and I Tom, Tom Brady's fantastic still. I'm still not sure how that, uh, that Tampa offense is going to look going against Green Bay's defense. Now, on the flip side, New Orleans has a very good defense too. One of the, again, one of the better defenses in football. So that's part of it. Uh, but I just got to ride with Green Bay on this. I think Aaron Rodgers, this is kind of not a team of destiny thing, but Aaron Rodgers all season has been on a mission. Doug, you might be right. This just might be Green Bay's year. Uh, So I'm going to go with the Packers minus three in this football game based on what I saw last week.
0: You you know what, Dan and Doug, if I needed someone to speak accurately about why the Packers are going (laughs) to win this game, I could have just hit up my college group chat. I I, I didn't need it here. I just didn't need it here. You, You all make great points. It's just, this is tough. Well, that's the Tom. That's the Tom Brady effect, right? Let's 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 hope, right? Let's hope. Childhood <laughs> Ellis. Let's hope. I do want to say this, Dan. You made a great point about um, the bye weeks that these teams had, and how not seeing Kansas City for twenty days just makes this predict- predictions and picks difficult. Betters around the world will rejoice when the NFL goes ahead and just eliminates bye weeks for all playoff teams here in two, three, four, five years whenever <laughs> they do it, and turn wild super wild card weekend into mega super wild card weekend or whatever their plans are going to be because you know eventually they'll get one more game on the schedule and it will, that'll be what they end up deciding to do rather than chasing this one by and once that happens you'll get a much more accurate feel for the rest of the playoffs because these you're right when you don't see a team for that long you just don't know what you're going to get and both kansas city while patrick holmes was playing and Green Bay for 60 minutes showed why they were the number one seeds in their respective conferences. I don't like it. I I like having, I like having the bye week. I agree with that,
2: that carrot, right? If you go 15 and one, you get a bye and like, it matters to go like 15 and one or 14 and two, or I like having that reward. I think it makes it a little more interesting at the top.
0: I agree. You're right, just,
2: we'll have eight teams eventually.
0: Right, because there's just there's another another game they can put in the schedule. But I completely agree with you.
2: <laughs> okay, let's move on to the AFC Championship game, uh, where we get to talk about Doug's beloved Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs are favored by three in this game. We are just assuming, and as we're recording this on Thursday, it is trending this way. We're assuming Patrick Mahomes is going to play in this game, although. I think it's worth pointing out because I think a lot of people forgot about this, because Mahomes got the concussion or whatever it actually was. Mahomes left that game. He was also dealing with a foot injury in that game, and I think we, you know, we all saw him go to the trainer's table, and I think we saw him limping around a little bit, and it, it was it was definitely affecting him. So even if he clears this concussion protocol, that foot is something to keep an eye on, whatever that injury is. Uh, but let's just start here. Anyone in this game, gonna? anyone here going to make a case for the Buffalo Bills? Nobody. Ooh.
4: That silence is beautiful. I wow. was conning you guys before. I was never in on the Bills. <laughs> I was just using them to make a pick. I'm completely out again.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's too good. That's too good. I, I could do it quickly. Okay. The Bills have a chance here to do everything the Browns couldn't against the chiefs defense because if Kansas city wants to go up and get physical and be in the bills face. Like they were in Rashard Higgins grill or down in people's Jones or Jarvis Landry's they're going to get chopped and screwed and diced up by Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley and company, especially that boy, Stefan Diggs. Holy smokes. That is going to be the one thing to watch. Like how does Leslie Frazier decide to defend the chiefs again? Because the, like green Bay and Tampa, these two teams already met once before. Mahomes does his thing and, and the, the Bills don't have enough answers. It's a rematch. I, I believe in the coaching staff there and an adjusting of a game plan. But it really, this game, can, I think, is going to be dictated by, of course, how the quarterbacks play. It's, it's the championship games that's what this comes down to. But how Kansas City decides to play the Bills receivers. If they show Josh Allen a lot of zone, which he's shown he can, he can beat, then this game probably goes closer than it will be. But if if the Bills are able to just carve up a Kansas City man defense, unlike the Browns are able to do, there could be a a way where they just outscore Kansas City while the Chiefs and Patrick Holmes still aren't 100%. Yeah, I can't
2: can't make the case for Buffalo either. I I think this has a chance to be an interesting game especially if Buffalo can score. But look, we saw last week, you cannot make mistakes against the Kansas City Chiefs. If you make mistakes, you're down 19 to three at the half, you know, and you, you just, or whatever that score was, you, you can't drop passes. You can't have weird plays where a guy gets hit in the helmet and fumbles the ball and it's a touchback, right? Those, those things happen and Kansas City, just punishes you. Um, so if Patrick Mahomes is anywhere close to Patrick Mahomes I, I just think this team's this this Chiefs' offense is a wagon, and as Buffalo's defense has been playing better, but I just don't know if there's a defense out there that can slow down this Chiefs team with, with any sort of consistency right now. Especially because they really did. We talked about rust versus rust going into that game. They were not rusty at all against the Browns in that football game. So again, if Mahomes is healthy and, and ready to go, I just don't know how Buffalo wins this game.
3: You know that that Kansas City defense. I was way more impressed. With that Kansas City defense, than I thought I was going to be. They did a finish. They were
2: flying.
3: They were flying around. Uh, I mean, they they mugged Jarvis Landry. Tyron Matthew was was out of his mind. I mean, he he was amazing. Chris Jones was so good. Uh, th- those guys really stepped up, and and they were so much better than I thought they were going to be. And in key moments, they like they really shut down. Nick Chubb against a really good offensive line, so I was way more impressed with that defense than, than I thought I was going to be. Um, Josh Allen is a hell of a playmaker, and j- you know when you think that they're counted out, they're not counted out either. They're kind of like the Chiefs in that regard. You know, you think it looks like uh, they're dead in the water, and he brings them back with either his legs or his arm, and that and between him and Stefan Diggs. I mean, those guys are are dynamite together. So I I think it it has the potential to be, uh, Doug's looking at me like, nah, (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I think Josh has turned into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, not just because of his arm, which I think his arm talent now is sensational. I think he has harnessed the wild stallion and he can do things with his arm that Patrick can do i think i mean he can throw from from incredible arm angles and he can flick it uh he can and he's got the touch for the short pass uh i i I think his arm talent is is tremendous he makes the he makes the deep ball look super easy and effortless i i think he's i think he's great um but I still think it's, it's Patrick, I still think it's the Chiefs, at the, they're at home, and even though they're only allowed to have 20% of their fans there, it still is enough to give you a home field advantage. I think they have that. Um, and I think Tyreek, Travis, those guys are, you know, they're, they're ready to go back to the Super Bowl. I mean, they're, they're, they were ready last week, and I think they, I, I think they've got more to prove. I I think they're worried about their quarterback. They're they're eager for him to get back. Yeah, I I do think the toe thing is a little bit of a concern. He was limping around there pretty pretty good. But I think by the time they get to Sunday, Patrick will be okay. And I think they will prevail.
4: Doug? So... They scored 17 against the Ravens last week. And one of them was a 101 yard pick six when Lamar threw into the end zone to tie the game at 10. So I know it was windy, but like the Josh Allen is unstoppable. Like uh, what did they do last week? And they probably could have lost to the Colts in their first playoff game. They have not been great in the playoffs. And I think now, the Browns have trouble stopping Lamar and you win games in the regular season and you get a higher seed. And you don't have to do it. If the Browns had the Bills playoff schedule and the Bills had the Browns playoff schedule, the Chiefs and the Browns would be playing in the AFC Championship right now. I think the Browns would have done to the Colts and the Ravens what the Bills did. And I don't think the Bills are going to hang with the Chiefs any better than the Browns did. And this goes back to a thing and nobody wants to hear me say this. I still think the Browns played pretty well last week and I think this week might prove it because I think this week the Bills may not be able to do all the things the Browns did, which is slow the game down a little bit, limit possessions, right? Which is force the Chiefs into a couple field goals at key moments, which is when they get down, rally. Baker made a huge mistake. I think Josh Allen might make a huge mistake this week, maybe two, right? I just don't think it's the Bills' time. I think the Chiefs, I, Mary Kay, everything you said about Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones and like watching that in the moment, like, all the Browns fans watch, hundred percent agree, right? Which is why, and the Browns were still right there. Now, listen, if Pat, you know, you throw Patrick Mahomes got hurt, that's a huge deal. I just think the Chiefs might, might like own this game, and 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 then the the transitive property people might have a, a greater appreciation for all the good things the Browns did to sort of hang around like they did. You know, they got some breaks. They had some tough breaks against them. But I I just think this might be like a, I don't know, 38-17 kind of game where in the moment, the Bills haven't been great in the playoffs. They're a very good team. It's just a little early for them. The Chiefs have been here. It is remarkable. I was listening to another podcast that, like, people sound like, are the people sick of the Chiefs? They've They've been to the Super Bowl once. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, they are very early, and they are not like a dynasty yet. They are at the beginning of this. So, but they're more experienced than the Browns or Bills are. So, I I just think, you know, assuming, and I wouldn't bet this today, right? I mean, who would bet the Chiefs today? I'll save. And you've got my, to know
2: what Mahomes is doing,
4: right? So, I'll save my money and wait, and then I'll make the bet an hour before kickoff when I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is going to play. But we're doing it today with the assumption that Mahomes is going to play, and I feel very comfortable giving giving three points with the Chiefs.
3: You think that the, uh, you don't think the Steelers were an easier draw in the playoffs?
4: I think the Bills would have beaten the Steelers too, but the Browns had to get to, but the Browns also, now listen, they snapped the ball over the head. We get it. But the Colts gave the Bills like all the Bills could handle, right? I mean, that was down to the last drive. And then the Ravens game, I know it was windy, but like that was not a beautiful football game on either side. When everybody was high on both those teams going in and what the Browns had to do to go to Kansas City and try to hang with the defending Super Bowl champs, you know, I just think the Browns in the playoffs have done, if they were on this path, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying, I guess mostly I'm saying that you know the Browns I, had to I get think, to the Chiefs last week, and the and the Bills avoided them until this week, and I think yeah, the Bills I, might I lose I worse you're than the Browns to say did. Is the Browns played the
2: Chiefs first,
4: <laughs> and but I also think the Browns might wind up in the end ha- playing a better game against the Chiefs than the Bills will play, and then how will we view any of that? Like if the Chiefs really handle the Bills, I I think people might reassess how the Browns played last week. I think that's possible. Well, that would remind um, us how good the Chiefs are.
3: I mean, but you also have to consider that that. Patrick uh, has been known to score, to throw three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter quite frequently. So (laughs) had he been in the game for the, you know, the rest of the third quarter and the whole fourth quarter, it might not have been obviously as close as it turned out to be.
0: Yeah, they were on pace for like 550 yards of offense before Patrick Mahomes got hurt. Um, I would be surprised if the Chiefs handle Buffalo just because I think that, that Colts defense, um, Doug. I think I think you do. I think you underrate the Colts defense slightly to the point where that was just a game where they almost lost because of a fumble that Buffalo recovered, and then the Buffalo was able to pull it off because of some poor clock management. Like the Colts were right there, and I don't think that means Buffalo's any lower. I think that says more about the Colts. And then the Ravens defense is up there in the top three, four of the league in defensive units as well, along with their coordinator and their D line coach, who just got hired somewhere. Um, so I, I think both those defenses have suppressed Buffalo's offense a bit. And though the chiefs looked good last week, this is going to be the softest unit they play. And I think the, the bills offense now hits the, their peak in the playoffs coming off two of the better defenses in the league.
2: And I do, th- I do think we shouldn't just assume that the Browns would have beaten the Ravens either. There's not really evidence that that would have happened.
0: I, I'll say on the record, I would not have picked the Browns to beat the Ravens. I don't think, I don't think they have the, ro- the, the roster to beat that team right now. It, and I'll say it going into the entire offseason, So we can start well, that now too.
3: Lamar Lamar was also lost to that game with a concussion. So uh, that that's another thing that you have to look at. It's not like they were playing, you know, a, a full Ravens team there from the end of the third quarter in. But
4: Bill's Chiefs, that's the game. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is like an, uh, I don't want to make it like an offseason pod. I still, I still, I can't, I can't, I get confused sometimes whether you guys think the Browns, did the Browns blow an opportunity or were they playing a great team and had no chance to win? I don't know. I'm confused sometimes on, I thought the Browns played pretty well last week and what happened is exactly probably what would have happened. And now I just think the Chiefs are really good. And so that's why I don't view his last week as a missed opportunity, even though Mahomes was hurt because they hung with the chiefs for as long as they could. And I just think the chiefs might be the chiefs this week. And if they're not, if the bills win, then okay, we can come back next week and I'll be wrong. But um, the chiefs are the chiefs, the chiefs are the chiefs. And, And I'm not trying to, but you know, the chiefs are the chiefs. And a week ago, Ellis and Mary Kay picked the Browns to straight up beat the chiefs on the field. So it's like, you know, are the chiefs, now you're picking the Chiefs to beat the Bills, but you thought the Browns could beat the Chiefs. I don't know. I'm a little – because you picked the Chiefs to – you picked the Browns to beat the Chiefs thinking Patrick Mahomes would be healthy the whole game. Right? Yeah,
0: and I, I said this I said to Dan and Mary Kay before the game. I go, if the Chiefs win this game, I'm picking them to win the Super Bowl. That was so much more of just not seeing them and just not knowing what you're going to get 20 days off and riding a team that had momentum in a favorable matchup. and Because we talked and got to watch the tape how I just didn't see the offense – playing as, as low bar as they did and and, and not matching the defense in a, in a break with Mahomes not playing the final 23 minutes. That, that That's really what it came down to.
3: And you know what? I mean, and I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys about this on the post-game pod, but I mean, I just think if the Browns had played the kind of game that they had been playing down the stretch, that I still do think they could have beat the Chiefs. I really do. Miles Garrett tore an oblique muscle, and he, was, he wasn't himself. He was on the bench. Denzel Ward was going to the bench for oxygen the whole entire second half. You know, I mean, I just think things happened in that game. Jarvis Landry had 20 yards, okay? He had 20 yards, seven catches for 20 yards. That's not the Jarvis that that we know. If Jarvis had had a Jarvis kind of a game, then they win the game. If Rashard Higgins, if, if that's called a... You know, but but also you guys just said on this pot if Patrick Mahomes had stayed in the game, they might
4: have scored three touchdowns in the final twenty-three minutes. That's where there's a disconnect. That's not what this pot is about. We can argue about it all off-season. I just so so like half the people on our staff picked the Browns to beat the Chiefs last week, but like nobody's picking the Bills now. Nobody's picking the Bills to beat the Chiefs now because now the Chiefs are unbeatable. But a week ago, people were picking the Browns and then we're acting like the Browns fell short because they didn't play a perfect game to beat the defending Super Bowl champs? That's what I don't get.
3: It's about well, matchups. It's about matchups. If you think that the Browns matched up in certain ways better against the Chiefs than the Bills do, I mean, it's about matchups. You can think that the Browns can beat the Chiefs one week, and then, you can, then the next week you can still think it's okay to think that the Chiefs can beat the Bills. I mean, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive
4: but as ellis said the bills have a passing game that can threaten the chiefs down the field in the way that the browns don't right right but here's
0: the thing the bills aren't going to have a possession that takes eight eight minutes off the clock the browns had a game plan that i thought combated the chiefs decently where the bills are going to just try and outscore you so i made the case as to why they could do it i don't think that's the way to do it which is why i don't think they will the browns had the right game plan they just didn't execute I don't think the, the Bills have the right matchup or game plan to beat the Chiefs, despite the massive amount of respect I have for their skill position players. The Chiefs just have better skill guys. And if it's strength on strength, you take the Chiefs because they're better at it. Well, I'll tell you what happened to me. And I picked
2: the Chiefs, but I picked a close game. Exactly what I talked about at the beginning of this segment. I kind of fell for the Chiefs sort of playing with their food a little bit all season. And I sort of fell for the Browns putting up 48 points against a Steelers team. That's not very good. And then all of a sudden I watched that first quarter of the chiefs Browns game and realized, Oh, the chiefs could score 50 in this game if they want to. So that's what happened to me. I just, I, I probably overrated the Browns and underrated the chiefs a little bit. Um, and then again, that comes back and, to and them look, the Browns, the Browns kept it interesting. They made it close. They probably should have been able to take advantage of Chad Henney throwing a punt. Um, but it, it didn't happen. But look, the, the reality is, is once we kind of saw the Chiefs in that first drive and what they did in that first quarter, it became pretty clear that, oh, yeah, the Chiefs were kind of just messing around a little bit in the regular season. Although they are prone to what we saw, right? Harrison Butker misses an extra point, And then he misses a field goal after the Baker interception. And they're prone to getting a little bored sometimes. And it's trying not getting to do bored a if
4: your kicker hits the point. upright. That's not getting bored. It's your kicker biffed it. It's bad execution, though. It's bad special teams play. It's not football, though. It's just your dumb kicker who can but, make but What 50 I'm saying, and though, what I'm saying yarders. is, if
2: you've watched the Chiefs at all this season, they get bored and they mess around a little bit.
4: So I'm saying that your that's kicker, the one thing that keeps it close. Hitting – your kicker's inability to hit 35-yard field goals is not being bored. If you think they should have punched it in there and that they were dorking around and then they let Miles get pressure on Patrick Mahomes on third down, okay. I mean, their kicker's weird. Their kicker makes sixty yarders and can't make thirty yarders But
0: what are, what are we going to do on this podcast next week if the Bills win?
4: I mean, have a Josh Allen party, Man, Doug's I'll get, get a, I'll Doug's get party hats, Josh Allen <laughs> tattoo.
0: <laughs> I'll be here in a jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a win-win then. We're either right or we're having a party. Yeah. A
2: <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, after all that, the Chiefs are. We all we're all on the Chiefs minus three uh ellis and mary care on the bucks plus three doug and i are on green bay minus three so there we have it okay that's going to do it for uh, our friday edition of the orange and brown talk pod uh thanks everyone for listening make sure you're subscribed i know there's a gotta watch the tape coming you guys did like three hours worth of gotta watch the tape and part two of that is uh is coming up a little later today depending on when you're watching this or i'm sorry listening to this coming up on friday so make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed and of course subscribe to football insider at cleveland.com slash Browns. It's that blue banner at the top of the page. All right. So for Doug, Mary Kay and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.